0: Today's a good day, especially if you are new or visiting. A massive welcome to the friends and family of those who are being baptized, Dylan, Amy, and Nick. Today is one of—I love baptism services. my favorite day. So today I'm going to speak real short, and by short I mean like 15, 20 minutes, and then we're going to baptize these guys. We want time for them to hear their stories. And so this isn't as much of a sermon as, let's just call it, Parting our way through a Bible passage, all right, today. So we're going to have some fun. This is our celebration Sunday. As Brian mentioned, we've got our Christmas party later on today. If you haven't done so already, share something that you're thankful for with the hashtag Anchor Thanks, and those will continue to roll on the screens a bit later on. But I'm going to pray. If you've got a Bible, head to uh, two Samuel chapter six. Two Samuel chapter six. We're going to start in verse twelve. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The verses will be. On the screens behind me, and you can follow along there. But I'm gonna pray for us, I'm gonna read the word of God, and we're gonna have some fun. Is anyone ready? Yeah. Good, good. Feel free to yell at me during this, this sermon, okay? Let's make it fun. So, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Thank you. I received that wolf whistle in the name of Jesus. I receive it. <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might." And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel bought the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord. And set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Sounds delicious. And then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of the servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father, And above all his house, to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. I will be abased in your eyes. But by the the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a God who speaks. We thank you that you're a God who loves to celebrate and be celebrated by your people. And so, God, today as we pause and reflect on how we ought to celebrate in your presence and in light of your blessings, God, we ask that you would help us to respond appropriately, not just to the good news of Jesus, but all of the good things that you have done in our midst this year. We thank you for those who are being baptized in the Beautiful demonstration of your transforming power that is. And so we ask, speak to us now, God. Transform us by your spirit and help us to have fun. We prayed in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. In light of that passage, we're going to need to get a little bit more excited than that. But I want to start off, thank you. I want to start off by asking a, a deeply profound question. A question that strikes at the core of humanity, the core of who we are as people. And it's a question that is probed at the time of the deepest celebrations and the most wonderful moments in human life, at weddings and birthdays and celebrations. And the question is this, why is it that the dance floor is empty until people have sufficiently drunk enough alcohol? Now... Please don't mishear me. I'm not condoning over drinking and, and getting drunk. But why is it that the dance floor is empty until people have sufficiently consumed enough alcohol? The reason is we're self-conscious. That's why. And so we hope that a couple of drinks is going to loosen us up a bit. And, but the reality is that the more you drink, the more stupid you look. The thing that the alcohol does, it just makes you forget and not realize how dumb you actually look dancing on the dance floor. You know, we were at a wedding uh, uh, earlier this year, Jason Gemma's wedding, and a number of the staff were there, and we were having a good time, and I was sitting just having a nice conversation, and the DJ was pumping, and Brad and Brian decided that it would be a good idea to dance, and they wanted me to come and join them on the dance floor. Now, look, I'm not too bad at most sports. I'm um, Actually, at the moment, I'm, I'm dominating Josh in tennis, which I feel pretty good about. Um, I, you know, I've played soccer my whole life. I can surf, I can skate, I can ride a bike, all of those things, but just... When it comes to dancing, it's just not my thing. Can I, anyone, any of the fellas out there agree with me? You know, like, you just feel awkward. You don't want to do it. And so Brad and Brian come over and they just start dancing around me on the chair, crumping, somewhat grinding on me. I'm just like, okay, no, they didn't do that. But that's what it felt like. So I just curled up in the fetal position, turned my chair over and lay on the floor until they went away, even at my own wedding. I didn't want to dance, right? The the bridal waltz, I was too self-conscious about dancing on my own way. My problem is I'm married to a professional dancer, right? (laughs) Tash studied dance for five years at university. She was a full-time dance teacher, and here I am at our wedding, presented with this conundrum of looking like a total fool in front of all these people because I'm so uncoordinated when it comes to the dance floor. And so... My solution was this, and this is my hot tip for all of you guys who are going to get married and you don't know what to do when it comes to that moment on the dance floor. Don't drink too much alcohol. It never works. Just do this. I've, I've um, trademarked this move, and I call it the Sparksy Shuffle. It's kind of like the waltz minus the third bit, all right? So the waltz is like one, two, three, one, two, three, and you, uh, it's too much. Let's just simplify it a bit, and let's just make it one and two, all right? So all you do, fellas is you start on the left foot and you just just rock to the right foot. (laughs) And then you go back to the left foot again. And if you want to get adventurous, you just turn around and you shuffle. Like, simple, right? The Sparksy shuffle. Now, what would it take? What would it take for someone of prominence and significance to dance wildly in front of all their people, their friends and their family. Well, that's exactly what David does here in this passage. He gets a little bit wild in front of the whole nation of Israel, strips down almost to his underwear and dances wildly in front of them. So let's have a look at this story. Israel breaks out into this massive party. And the reason that they're partying is because of a box. It's 112 centimeters long by 67.5 centimetres, by 67.5 centimetres, like a small coffin almost. And they bring this box into the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, and they party, they go wild, everyone's partying. Have a look at what they're doing in verse 12. David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing, celebration, with partying. And when those who had bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he offered a sacrifice of an ox and a fattened animal. The reason he did that was the first time he tried to bring the ark back. He didn't do it according to the law. He just, they just threw it in a cart and they just brought it in and it wobbled and fell off. And a guy called Uzzah, what a cool name, reached out to grab the ark of the covenant to prevent it from falling and he was struck down and died. And so this time around, David gets it right. The Levites carry it with the poles, according to the law of Moses, exactly like God had said the Ark of the Covenant ought to be carried. And so David, every six steps they take, he sacrifices an animal and a fattened calf, an ox and a fattened animal. And there, verse 14, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought the Ark of the Lord up with shouting With the sound of the horn. In fact, if you go to Chronicles 15, 1 Chronicles 15, I think it is, it lists all of the instrumentation that accompanies the ark coming in to the city of Jerusalem. So just picture the scene. You're there, the king of Israel, the most powerful man in the Middle East, has just conquered everyone. He brings the ark of the covenant back into the city, and there he is dancing with all his, like, twirling and spinning and twerking and, I mean, I don't know, maybe that could have been a thing. He's going wild, dancing with all his might. He's not holding anything back. It's not like he's concerned about what people are thinking of his movements and his coordination. He just busts it out and goes absolutely crazy, and he does it in what's called a linen ephod. Now, the king normally would have been dressed up with all his kingly robes and his crown and his scepter and his staff and all of the things that spoke of his authority and his power and his wealth and his significance. But here is the king of Israel in a plain garment, a plain robe, a linen ephod. It's the same thing that the high priest would have worn on the Day of Atonement when he went into the temple on that one day to offer the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people and the place. He didn't go in with all of the high priest's clothes that made him look special and important. Instead, he stripped down to a linen ephod. It was servants' clothing. And so here is David in servants' clothing, humbly busting out moves in front of all of the people of God. Now, it probably would have looked like the king in his undies. Somewhat, close to. It's wild. It's wild. So you would think to yourself, who could fathom a national leader dancing in front of his whole nation in his underwear? Like, who could fathom? Oh, hang on a sec. Wait. Wait. <laughs> Wait a second. Oh, that's right. Tony Abbott and his budgie smugglers. Someone buy that guy some board shorts. Give me a break. So, But that's the picture It's the nation's leader in his budgie smugglers, dancing and twirling and spinning and crumping and busting out moves in front of all of the people of God. The whole tribes of Israel are there. And there is David in a linen ephod dancing. And there is music and there's shouting, there's yelling, and it's Middle Eastern, so you know it's legit and noisy and loud. A number of years ago, I I used to be a youth pastor before we planted Anchor Church, and One of the the kids in our youth ministry was actually really significantly injured in a motorcycle accident. He was going off a jump on his dirt bike, came off, the bike landed on top of him. He broke his neck at C1, C2, right at the top. He was in Westmead Children's Hospital for six months, and the doctors said, at very best, best case scenario is he will be a vegetable with assisted breathing. And his dad, Sarkis, said, that he believed that God had given him a promise that he would walk out of there in six months' time, and he did exactly that. He walked out of Westminster. It was a total miracle. But when Jake left hospital, his family organized this massive welcome home party. And so you've got to understand, Sarkis' side, so Jake's dad, Sarkis, his side of the family is Assyrian, and his mum's side is Macedonian, and they've got all their uh, grandparents. I don't know even what names they have, like Nonna, Nunnu, I don't even know what they are, but they're all there, and uh, there is so much food, way more food than anyone could possibly dare to hope to eat. And uh, there is music and partying and Jake comes and he, he walks in, right? He's got a walking stick or it might have been on one crutch at that point. And he walks in and all of his friends and family erupt into celebration. And his grandmas have got these little sticks, like they're all covered in these like ribbons and sparkly bits. And they're dancing around like la, 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 la like waving the sticks around, and his dad's dancing, and it was wild. I remember filming it, looking at my buddy going, this is insane. Anglos would never get this excited, but we probably should. That's what it's like. Middle Eastern, wild, party, celebration, fun, as David brings the Ark of the Covenant back into the city of David. But with any party, there's always someone... Who's just not willing to get involved? You've all been there. You know the 21st you got invited to. You didn't really know anyone. You were just like a friend of a friend, and and everyone's enjoying it. You're like Instagram and bored out of your brain, and everyone else. And so here it is: David's wife, Michal, Saul's daughter. She's actually not even there. She's not in the procession. She's in the palace and she's watching on from a window, and she disapproves. Have a look at what it says in verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him with all her heart. Sorry, in her heart, not all her heart. David dances with all his heart. She despises him in her heart. She's watching on from the palace looking down, seeing her husband, the king of Israel, dancing in what looks like his underwear in front of the whole nation. And she thinks, you look like a goose. And she despises him. But the party goes on, despite Michal's disapproval. And they celebrate, they party. And then David gets generous. He starts giving out raisin cakes. I don't even know what they are, but they sound delicious and food and bread, and he blesses the whole nation and sends them home. And he comes back to bless his own house. And this is what happens in verse 20. David returned to bless his household, but Michal, daughter of Saul, David's wife, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. I mean, you can just hear her sarcasm, can't you? Oh, you honoured yourself today, darling. She's accusing David essentially of stripping down and dancing for the approval and attention of the servant girls who were part of the parade. Now, some people take that and think that David got naked and danced wildly naked, or, or at best maybe was... Busting out some big leg move and the linen ephod slid up and he exposed himself to the servant girls. Chances are that's not what happened. It might have, but chances are Michal here is exaggerating David's undignified behavior. See, she's concerned about outward appearance. She's concerned about David looking like a king and powerful. But the reality is that David is simply a servant of the Lord, leading his people in worshiping God. And she thinks that he's just been jubilantly twerking for the sake of the girls. And David says, it doesn't work like that. He says, in fact, that um, we'll get to what he says in a second. But the question remains, because we're not told in this story whether or not God approves of David's behavior. Or whether Michal is right in her objections that the king shouldn't be acting in such a dignified way. So the question is, is the celebration appropriate? Is the celebration appropriate? And the answer is yes. And the reason is because of the box, the box that they brought in. You see, this isn't just a rectangle box made of acacia wood. For a start, it's covered in gold. It's got cherubim on the top. It contains the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on and Aaron's staff that budded. It's all in there. But more important than that, the box represents the very presence of God. It represents God blessing His people. It's the place where God would meet face to face with Moses. It's where the high priest would sprinkle the blood to offer the sacrifice of atonement for the people. This is more than Israel's lucky charm. This is the presence of God. And so the box is significant. As David brings the box in, he's making a huge statement about the type of king that he is going to be and the type of kingdom and people that Israel will be. No longer are they satisfied to have the presence of God on the outskirts of Israel. No, no, no. God must be brought into the very center of Israel's life and policy and rule and leadership. And so they draw God, the presence of God, to the very prominent place in the center of the city of David to the tent that is set up for it. That's why this moment is so significant. That reality that God is present causes David to somewhat lose his marbles and dance wildly in his underwear before the whole nation of Israel. And it's appropriate. See what he says there? He says, in fact, that he's willing to get even more undignified before the Lord. Have a look at verse 21. This is David's response to his sweet darling wife who publicly rebukes him as he comes to bless his house. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who, by the way, chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. It was before the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself even more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. David says, there is nothing that is going to stop me celebrating this moment, this significant moment of the presence of God, his blessing being among us. I'm willing to get even more crazy than this, David says. He's willing to make a fool of himself. Because he knows what's up with this moment. He knows that this is significant. In fact, you turn the pages of 2 Samuel chapter 6 to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and God blesses David and gives him a promise that one of his heirs will sit on his throne forever. This is one of the most profound, significant moments in the history of God's people as the presence and blessing of the Lord comes. And so guess what I'm saying today is that when God is present, when God blesses, we ought to celebrate. right? When God is present, when God blesses, we ought to celebrate. And that's exactly what we're doing today. The application of this sermon is come to the Christmas party and party to the glory of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. We're going to live this out because of all that God has done for us. But it seems to me that God is a God of celebration, is he not? Just cast your mind forward to the story that Jesus tells of a man who had two sons. His younger son heads off, takes his share of the inheritance, wastes it partying. He wastes it on prostitutes and parties. He becomes completely poor. The land he's in is struck by a famine. He comes to his senses as he's feeding pigs. And he says, I'm going to return home to my father's house. I'm going to ask him to hire me and I'm going to work off my debt. And as the son returns... The father is waiting and watching and he sees the son and he runs in such undignified manner. He pulls his robe up and for a Middle Eastern man, a stately man, a man who owns an estate and a household, he runs down the driveway to greet his son. He kisses him and he hugs him. And he says what? Let's have a party and celebrate for this child of mine. This son was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive. And Jesus tells that story for some who sit in the palace and watch on and aren't celebrating the work of God, aren't celebrating that God is transforming lives, aren't celebrating the fact that Jesus hung out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, aren't celebrating the fact that God's heart longs to see the lost come home to him. God is a God who celebrates. And we have nothing better to celebrate than the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That he has washed us clean, that he has made us new, that he has given us a fresh start. And in a moment we will baptize people as a demonstration of the transforming power of God. And we will hear them talk of Jesus and how he has changed their lives. And we ought to celebrate and we will celebrate that. But my question for you this morning is which side of the celebration are you going to sit Will you sit on the side, on the outside, and look in and think, what is this? This is foolish. Or will you join in the celebration of God? The celebration of God as He redeems people, as He moves them from death to life. Friends, we've got so much to be thankful for. I mean, just if you just take the reality that Jesus has died for your sin, He took your punishment for you, He took hell for you. If you think just on that one thing, that ought, we ought to have some people dancing down the front here at that moment. Seriously. But God has been good to us this year. There are a number of things I just want to remind us of, church, of the things that God has done this year. He has been present, has He not? He has blessed us, has he not? Let me just remind you, this venue that we are sitting in today is a provision of the Lord. The factory theater has been so good to us. This place feels like home to us. We're here every Sunday, and we are so thankful to Sam, Geneva, Terry, all of the guys, Jimmy, all of the staff that are here that serve us every week. We love this venue, and so let's just give it up. I don't know if any of the factory staff are here right now, but let's just thank them. This venue is God's provision to us. We outgrew that little space at packed it at Erskineville, and so we, we ought to thank God for this space, this provision. But let me give you a couple of others. Our church has grown this year. At the beginning of this year, we started with 136 adults in nine gospel communities. And at the moment, we've probably got more to go towards the end of this year, but we've got 182 adults, 28 kids in 13 gospel communities, or 12, 12 gospel communities. Yes, that is worth celebrating. Now... Please don't mishear me. I'm not quoting numbers as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to boast because every person, every person is behind a number. And behind every person is a story of God's redeeming grace in their lives. So we're not about numbers. We're about what God is doing and we want him to do more of it in more people's lives. But God has grown our church and we have multiplied this year. That was our vision, to multiply We've multiplied four new gospel communities this year. We sent out Stephen Rochelle to start a new gospel community in Redfern this year. We sent out Dave and Ellen to start a new gospel community in St. Peter's. We repotted the Waterloo GC to Darlinghurst and Elliot and Helena are leading that group. And then we sent out Alnado uh, and Robin who are leading a new gospel community in Stanmore. So we've got four new gospel communities. God has multiplied the work that we've prayed that he would do this year. He has inspired generosity amongst us, has he not? The last three months, as I mentioned last week, we have been financially self-sufficient as a church, which is phenomenal for a young church plant like us to be standing on our own two feet heading into next year is good news. So God has inspired generosity. Thank you to those who have partnered with us. We've employed two new staff because of that. If you realize that, Hope and El both came on staff at the halfway point of this year as a result of your generosity and God's provision. So thank you. That is good. That's something worth celebrating. We launched an internship program, and next year you're going to meet four to six new interns that will be joining us in our hopes to train them up, equip them, and send them out to make Jesus' name famous among the nations. This year, we provided 106 bags of groceries to Newtown Asylum Seeker Center in partnership with Simple Love. That's that's thousands and thousands of dollars worth of nappies and weekly groceries for asylum seekers who cannot provide for themselves, who have no means of income and provision. And so you guys provided 106 bags of groceries for that. That's a phenomenal effort. In in, uh, addition to that, we established a partnership with Compassion. And we were able to sponsor around 30 kids and release them from poverty in Jesus' name in a small city in the Philippines. 30 children's lives who have been radically changed by the work of compassion and by your donations and your letters. That is worth celebrating. We've seen a church living out our vision of being in community on mission for Jesus. It's happening. It's happening and it's good to see and it's worth celebrating. But best of all, Best of all, we've seen lives transformed. We've seen people increasingly surrender all of their life to the Lordship of Jesus. We've seen sin repented of. We've seen people walking in holiness. We've seen people healed. We've seen people moving from death to life this year. And what a celebration that is. And we're going to celebrate exactly that right now as we baptize Dylan and Amy And Nick, and I'm going to invite Brian up to transition, explain a little bit about what baptism is. But before we do that, I'm going to pray, give thanks to God for his goodness, his greatness. And if you agree with me, I want to see a big, hearty amen at the end. Yeah, let's give thanks. God, we thank you. We rejoice in your goodness to us this year. Every good thing that has happened, God, you deserve all the glory and praise and honor. And so we want to lift you up and magnify your name and praise you today. We thank you for the work that you have done in our midst, that you are present, that you are pouring out your blessing. We thank you for transformed lives. God, we pray that you would increase this work to your glory, for the good of our city and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. amen, amen, amen.